We are joined by renowned attorney Avi Schick, who will give us his analysis of the new proposals in New York State for strict secular studies regulations on yeshivas. Avi is a former deputy AG of New York State. His illustrious list of clients include public companies, high-profile businesses, entrepreneurs, real estate developers, senior government officials. Avi has fought many legal battles on behalf of the firm community, and for that we are very grateful. And Avi, we're grateful for you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, it is absolutely our pleasure, and I know it'll be enlightening. So let's jump right in. The current proposal, of course, there have been uh, previous attempts. And in your view, how does the current proposal by the state differ from some of the past proposals? Um, so it's um, it has a few different features um, than prior proposals. Some of them are, are helpful, while others are, are quite problematic. And in, in some, in total, um, these regulations are, are, are troubling and something that the, the community has to address. Uh, the reason, I'll just go briefly, um, yeah. the, uh, the good news is um, that there's an attempt to provide what they call multiple pathways to equivalence. The State Education Department realizes that local well, school districts don't want to evaluate and are not equipped to evaluate private schools, and private schools don't want to be evaluated by local school districts. That's not only true of, 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 of Jewish schools, of yeshivas, it's true of the entire spectrum of, of private schools. And so realizing that, the, these regulations propose what they call multiple pathways to equivalence so that one can become equivalent without a local school district review. That's the good right. news. That's the good news. The, the, the bad news is that the sum total of these regulations is that pretty much every single non-Jewish private school will be exempt from a review, and the only reviews will occur at yeshivas. And that's, that's let me explain wow. why. Yeah, please. Let me explain why. So um, there are a couple of paths um, to... Um, to equivalence here. One is registration. What registration means is that if if a high school administers regents exams, that's considered a registered school. And what these regulations say is that a registered school is exempt, not only the high school that administers regents, but it's elementary school right. as well. So if there's a, a K-12 school um, and, and the high school gives the regents exams, the school is considered exempt. Um, now that works for, for many schools, but for, for, for probably most schools, it doesn't work for, for one of two reasons, either because the high school doesn't give the regents, as is the case in Hasidic schools, or, in large numbers anyway, or because in Brooklyn, we're very familiar with K-12 schools because most of the yeshivas in Brooklyn, boys and girls, are, are K-12. Not all, but, but most. That's right. the norm. Outside of Brooklyn, it's really not the norm. If you're in Muncie, if you're in Queens, um, the, the schools, the elementary schools and the high schools are separate entities entirely, right? There'll, there'll be, a, you know, Yeshiva Spring Valley has a boys' school and a girls' school and multiple tracks. And it's each, a massive, massive Yeshiva, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but it's only, it's K-8. No high school, right. In K-8, and that's the norm. I mean, I'm not saying there are no K-12 schools in, in Muncie or, or Queens, but... But the norm is not like that. In Queens, it's the same thing. You know, the biggest girls' schools by Yaakov Queens, the boys' schools, it's first Marshall, Yeshiva Tana, and, and they don't have high schools. So 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 this path of of registration doesn't work for most of the yeshivas. So then you have to go to the next 
um, option, which is accreditation. And, and what this says is that if you're accredited by a third party accrediting agency, that will be considered equivalent. But the problem is that you have to be accredited by an agency that's approved by the state education department. And, and as we sit here today, there are, if not no yeshivas accredited by those agencies, then just about no yeshivas. Um, in other words, there's about 440 or 450 yeshivas in New York, and there aren't a handful that are accredited. So that's an option that's really, you know, meaningless for the for the film community. It's disappointing because there were a lot of conversations with SED saying accreditation could work. That's a good idea, perhaps, but we have to figure out how it includes an agency that works with yeshivas. And uh, instead, we got, you know, if you're approved by an existing, if you're accredited by an existing approved accrediting agency, approved by the state education department, and and, and that, you know, it, it just hasn't happened, and uh, it, it can't happen, and it certainly can't happen in the time frame of these regulations. So that's really disappointing because uh, I think the state, the state education department acknowledges that these first two paths, registration and accreditation, are going to cover just about every single non-Jewish private yeah, school. Is that true? The non-Jewish private schools, uh, some of them obviously are combined high school and elementary, and you're saying virtually all the rest uh, are accredited? But by one, in one form or another. Wow. Because it, for whatever reason, it meant something for them. And, and the state acknowledges that, for example, in New York City, the only schools that will be subject to a local school board review to the New York City Department of Education review are going to be yeshivas. In Rockland County, the only schools that are going to be subject to a local school board review are going to be yeshivas. In, in other, you know, the suburban counties around New York. And of course, that's where the overwhelming number of yeshivas are, right? In and around New York City sure. is where the yeshivas are. So, so these school districts are going to do one kind of, of, of review and one kind of review only, and that's a review of yeshivas. And that's really... Probably. Yeah. Does that I mean, does that fact alone, legally speaking, mean that these rules are targeting Jews specifically? And would that be enough to consider them anti-Semitic? I, I mean, listen, I, I, you know, you start, you know, let's put it this way. It's troubling that the effect and the impact of these rules are, as I described. Okay, understood. And I don't think I don't think it's necessary to get in at this point to what people's motivations were. It's a whole different discussion. And, and for now, it's enough. That Appreciate the, that. The, yes. The effect of it is, as I said. Now, okay, understood. But they, yeah, the impact, like you said, the results, that's really what the, the, the focus should be at this stage. Uh, in addition, and I think I saw you, that you were quoted making this point, this proposal does not recognize the value of the Mude Kaidish in terms of equivalency. Is that correct? C- correct. It, it's, it's, it's a strange thing. I mean, the, the, there's no secret that a majority of the school day in, in most yeshivas is spent on, you know, what we call the Kodesh, what we might describe to the government as Jewish studies. It's Gemara, it's Chomish and Rashi and Mefarshim, it's it's Tanakh, it's Jewish values, it's Jewish history. And, and, and you know, not only is it what we learn, that's why parents choose yeshivas, right? It's not a right. coincidence. It's right. not a coincidence. That's the that, whole point. That's the whole point. That's why their parents choose a yeshiva. <laughs> and yet for purposes of, of you know, evaluating the school, all of that is ignored in its entirety. And, and you know, part of the issue presumably is because some people in government probably still think that, you know, Ali Mude Kodesh is some version of, of 
chanting or prayer, right? As opposed to the deep intellectual work that it is. Of course, we 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 learn Torah, we teach Chumash, right? We learn Gemara and and Halacha, right? For for religious purposes and for the religious values, but at the same time, right? They also have you know value beyond that. There are transferable skills. Our students do. Our graduates do very well in life. Because of the right. foundation that they right. get, critical school. thinking skills, you know, analysis, communication skills. There, there is so much to be gained, as we know. I mean, in North Korea, there are thousands and thousands of students in North Korea that learn Gemara. You know, non-Jewish right. people because they right. see the value. Yes, yeah. so, 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 so it's a very troubling factor. Oh, South Korea, I should say yeah. South Korea. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, South Korea. Yes, so it, it's really troubling that um, that you know most of what we do is going to be entirely you know, ignored. It discounted it. It's really, it's not even discounted. Discounted would be like it'd have some value. <laughs> it's going to be ignored. Amazing. Now, is it true? I saw, or uh, I read when you read through it, you know, I saw uh, something which I didn't see in the actual restrictions, but I saw it in one of the articles that even if a, if a yeshiva is exempted because of the region's equivalency, as you pointed out before, but if there's a complaint that's filed by the parents, then that could take away that exemption. Is there any truth it, to that? It's much worse than that. It's a complaint filed by anybody. Oh, even not even a parent. Right. Wow, and that's you know, really true. That's so hard to believe. It just it sounds absurd. These regulations empower, you know, a group of, of professional paid yeshiva critics um, by saying anybody who considers themselves aggrieved, anybody who considers themselves aggrieved. And, and it, it, it's really unprecedented. To uh, um, to suggest that that you know government says uh, you know whoever you are if you just you know lob in a complaint you know you can undo the substantial equivalence finding um, right. and, and it, it it highlights and brings home the the real danger in allowing us to move to a system in which to operate a yeshiva we need a government license. Right. That, that, that's what this is. Right. The, all these fancy terms, regulations and, and all the various parts and subparts and subparagraphs, you know, you can you can get bogged down in, in the weeds. Here. In the weed, yeah. But the important thing to remember is what this says is that if you want to operate a yeshiva, if you have a parent, if you as a parent wants the right to send your child to the yeshiva, you need the permission of the local school board. And right. that's problematic. That's troubling. It, 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 that it, precedent, it, that concept. It's bad now and it'll be worse later because bureaucracies only tend to expand that power, right? No right. bureaucracy ever says, good news, we're having fewer rules. <laughs> right? The rules, you know, we're going out of business. We're not needed anymore. Instead, they find more and more ways to insert themselves into, you know, into whoever it is they're regulating. When it's yeshivas that they're regulating, it means that However intrusive they are on day one, they're going to be far more intrusive on year two right. and year three. And I'm, I'm not even saying, again, I'm not saying that this is some devious plan. Mal- right, malicious, right. It's just the way, the way it is. And, and so, you know, yeshivas have operated in New York State for 123 years. The first yeshiva that's still operating opened its doors in 1899. Wow. Still operating. And uh, there are a whole bunch of yeshivas that are, you know, 120, 115 years old. Um, and so, you know, it, it's worked, right? Why, why now we're waking up to reinvent the wheel, um, is really a, uh, 
uh, a question that should be asked. And, uh, you know, the state doesn't seem to have a good answer. Right now, which it brings me really to my next question, which is, you know, until now, we've kind of been focused on how much this would intrude upon and, uh, you know, how invasive it would be and how much control it would give the state over the yeshivas from a legal standpoint, which is obviously your expertise, one of your big, big expertises. Um, is this a violation of religious freedom or what are the legal arguments specifically that would make these regulations potentially illegal? I, I think that it's been established for more than 100 years that parents have the right to control the upbringing and education of their children, that parental rights are superior to states' rights in that regard, um, that you know any regulation involving you know education and religious education has to be incredibly flexible, flexible to encompass you know the religious values and religious purpose that the parents are trying to achieve. And so there might be a whole host of reasons, but what I think it's important to note that right now what we have is a proposal. It's a proposal that um, has been put out there and will soon be out for public comment. And, you know, will not only be, be subject to public comment, but will surely be subject, but will also certainly be the subject of lots of private meetings and, and correspondence in terms of the community, our community making its voice heard and explaining to, go- to government why this is unacceptable. And for now, and when I say for now, there's many months in this process, that should be the focus. The focus has to be how we convey to government that this proposal doesn't work. This proposal is unfair in that its effect is that it's only yeshivas that are going to be subject to reviews. This proposal is not equitable because it ignores entirely the majority of our school day and, and our education. And so if, if, if we do our job right as a community, as we have in the past, right? In, two, in 2019, there was another set of yeah. regulations that was proposed, which was met with a, with a wave of, of outrage and opposition, um, which was met with an enormous volume of public comments that were submitted, probably 140,000 or more. Um, and, and then ultimately those were withdrawn, or at least they, they were not acted upon. And so that has to be the, the order of business right now. Um, people can, can focus on you know, legal aspects of this if it, if it comes to that, but the goal is to avoid having this reach that stage by you know, pushing back hard now. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so understood. So you're saying before we even get to that point, it's about public opinion. It's about expressing in, uh, en masse, kind of having the masses uh, uh, expressed to the state uh, and kind of putting pressure or advocacy and, and just this is this is bad and on, on so many levels and uh, sort of getting it in, in their best interest to not want to take it any further. Correct. Uh, okay, and uh, I did want to ask you just in terms of, uh, the weeds a little bit in terms of the actual reg- regulations, because this is part that I, I did not see when I read through the proposal, uh, what they actually they didn't get into a lot of specifics as far as let's say, uh, let's say you don't follow any of the pathways of accreditation or regents, uh, you know, what what the next step would be, because there were p- past proposals where they were literally discussing uh, a certain amount of hours of secular studies as a minimum. And well, they got a little. They got a little more clever about how they word things. Interesting. So, 
so what you have in these regulations, if you look at them, are just reference after reference to other regulations or, or statutes or things like that. And, you know, so instead of using the words of, you know, that, that might, you know, arouse, you know, anger and pushback, it, it, it reads like some bureaucratic legalese. You know, ah. section this and section that and subpart this and unless you uh you you go and look up as we would say in yeshiva the Maya McCunness, right <laughs> it, it might seem like it's just um you know some some innocuous boring stuff but if you read the references that they make that they incorporate right so instead of just instead of saying the word instead of saying you have to uh you know teach subject x or subject y or subject z they just say you know, uh, the local school district must ensure, you know, that you uh, comply with uh, section 801 point blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And they do that repeatedly. You know, just to tell just to give you an example, right, you know, beyond the core subjects of, of math and English and, and social studies and science, there are seven additional sections in these wow. regulations, each that reference different other sections of, of, of regulational law saying, you know, you have to teach this, you have to teach that. And they go into all sorts of issues, you know, uh, teaching about heroin abuse, teaching, which is like, you, you know, first of all, it's not the problem in our yeshivas. And, and, and second of all, you know, it's not that uh, at a certain point beyond the basic subjects, it does become a choice of, right, are you going to use the time for Limudei Kodesh? Are you going to use the time to teach, to inculcate Jewish values and ideals, or are you going to go down, you know, the path of, of teaching 13 different very peripheral things that, that the state requires? There's a limited, our yeshivas have very long school days, much longer than the public schools, right? The, first of all, the days themselves are longer, and the number of days of school are much greater. But, but that said, you know, you know there's, there's a limited number of time. There's a limited amount of time, a limited number of hours. And, and, and so it, it implicates those issues. And of course, you know, you know, nobody else is being asked whether you whether you teach those things. I mean, you know, I don't mean to denigrate them, but at a certain point, you know, that's what I was getting at earlier. Right. It's one thing for government to say people need a basic working knowledge of English and math and, and, and social studies and, and science. And it's an entirely different thing to say. And, you know, we want you to teach CPR. We want you to teach about heroin abuse and we want you to you know, teach about the Irish right. potato famine and why don't right. you teach about the <laughs> constitution. I'm not making any of these up. Literally, I know those are, and, I know I read those. Yes. And, and New York geography and New, and the New York state constitution. Yeah, New York state constitution. You, there, are, there aren't, you know, one in a hundred lawyers in New York, in New York, one hundred <laughs> lawyers who, who are familiar with the New York state constitution. Right. Um, and, and the list doesn't end. And the only one who's going to be tested on those things are, are yeshiva kids, not in the public schools. It's a not great point. Else. All right. Renowned attorney, Avi Shik. I, this has been really fascinating and insightful. You know, you really shed so much light on a lot of these areas, which were very, very confusing to a lot of us. Uh, you've been an amazing advocate for the from community, especially with a lot of the COVID restrictions and many, many things. We're very fortunate to have you advocating on behalf of our Kaila, fighting for us. And thank you for taking the time today to share your wisdom. Well, thank you for having me on um, again. I think at this point, you know, yeah. these regulations are about education, the most important education that we can um, undertake right now is to ed- educate ourselves as a community about these regulations, about what they require, about what they threaten. They threaten jail time for parents 
was sent to a, a non-compliant yeshiva. Um, wow. So they, you know, they they for, for yeshiva that is found preliminarily to be non-compliant, they give them not more than sixty days to come up with a plan to compliance. Now, ask yourself: Is there any public school district in the state that gives its own failing public schools only sixty days to improve? Right? It, it's it's you know it's a stacked deck, unfortunately. And, right. Amazing. The teachers' unions would ne- would never allow that, as we know. And uh, I mean, the public schools get away with all sorts of things. It's also not practical. Yeah, it's no, not, it's not. It's, it's not a question even of, of of you know what the reason. The reason the public schools aren't held to that standard is because it doesn't make sense. It's absurd. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And yet for yeshivas, it's like okay, here's a here's what you do. Um, and so you know, if we educate ourselves about what these contain, if we stay united, right? In the past several rounds of battles, um, we were united as a community, um, and. Uh, and when we act in the united way, we have much more strength. And we also have, I think, a greater siyata dishmaya. And, and we've been successful. And so I think that's what we have to do in this case as well. Okay. Great to hear. Avi Shik on the Vin News podcast. Thank you. Uh-